I'm very glad to be with you this morning, and thank you for joining us. If you're a guest, welcome to Genesis. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors. It's very good that you're with us. This is a unique time where Christians gather all over the world and celebrate something we always celebrate, but we give specific attention to it on a Sunday like today, Easter Sunday Or you might say Resurrection Sunday. You might have different ways you want to communicate it. But this is one of the things that we do. This is a historic memorial. It goes back very early to uniquely remember the resurrection of Jesus. Christians are a resurrection people. I've said this before. You'll hear it if you attend this church. I hope you do. That we are a resurrection people. That That makes us who we are. And I was talking with a group of guys, even this morning, just meeting together on Easter Sunday, drinking coffee and talking about the scriptures, and just this very fact, and and I'll say it again, I'm going to say it more, more and more, is that if Christ didn't, didn't raise, wasn't raised from the dead, why are you here? It's interesting that the New Testament scriptures themselves would say that this moment is a waste If Jesus was not resurrected, a waste that we have everybody else who's not here is doing it right. And we're just doing pageantry. Pageantry. That's all this would be if Christ had not been raised. If Christ had not been raised. This is hard for us. I've never seen a resurrection. Have you? The closest thing we might see at times is a resuscitation, not a resurrection. Perhaps you've been in the hospital and we lost a loved one or thought we were about to, or you've heard that maybe you've had a child and you've heard, oh, they coded. We might see resuscitation. We don't see resurrection. We don't see death becoming life. I don't know anybody who... Which, that I would trust who would say to me, yes, I was resurrected. I was dead. I had a funeral and everything, but now I'm here. I wouldn't know that person. So it, it, really, it's, it's for us as Christians, the thing our faith hinges upon is something that was attested, something hundreds saw, and you and I, by faith, Ascribe to it. I hope we ascribe to it with all that we have because this is all that we have. If you know me, you know I'm not a suit wearer. The last time I wore this suit was about 10 days ago at my grandmother's funeral. It's my funeral suit. One of the two funeral suits that I wear. I don't go all black, but I go dark. I wore this at my grandmother's funeral, both to respect my grandmother, who lived to an age of 99, and I wear it today to remember that what we're much more familiar with is not resurrection, but death. The language that we see, and we know, and we speak, and even the thing that we try to avoid is death. I will be more than happy, be honored to help facilitate your funeral, and I'll wear the same suit. 
But death is what we know. Death is what we see. Death is what, through supplements and doctor's visits and physical therapy and exercise, we try and avoid. And yet, it's undefeated. Except once. Except once. Why? It's interesting that our passage today, and it was chosen on purpose, our passage today is Acts chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with the, kind of the, the chronology of Scripture, I'm actually choosing a passage for Easter Sunday that's Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, which comes 50 days after the, rec- the, the remembrance of the Passover, Sabbath, right? Seven, seven, seven weeks after. It's around the 50th day. So we're talking Pentecost on Easter Sunday, which doesn't make any sense, but, but what do you get in Peter, the Apostle Peter's speech in Acts chapter 2, is why this all matters. And his speech about why the Holy Spirit has come is saturated with the resurrection. It was a necessary part of the Holy Spirit needing to come. And it sets up what we talked about if you were with us on Good Friday. We just did the first couple of verses of that passage. And we're going to continue it on today. He begins his speech by saying to the crowds who are confident that everyone there is drunk. Saying they're not drunk because it's too early. And more importantly, this is what God said would happen. And he goes back to the prophet Joel. He says, look, this is what God said would happen. Now what we get today is Peter also in that same speech, same time, everyone's trying to make sense of what's going on. He's going to give sense to the moment. But he pulls from Psalms, two Psalms in particular, to speak about what they're seeing and why the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, must be the reason for all of it. Okay? And so what are we going to see today? We're going to see really four things. Okay, Four things. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, Christ's spirit, and our life. Our life comes as consequence to this because really after the speech, they just turn to Peter and go, what now? It says they were cut to the heart and they go, what must we do? Christ's death. I'm going to give you a word or a phrase for each of these And if you were here Friday, you've already heard this. But Christ's death, the word is necessary. Necessary. The first two verses, when he says, after quoting Joel, Hear me, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, with wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as well to demonstrate him as Messiah, as you yourselves know, because you've seen them. This Jesus delivered up, According to the definite plan, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Christ's death was necessary because it was always a part of God's eternal plan to bring his people into a right relationship with him. Now, this can confuse us because we're not, we're not, always, we're not always understanding how the pieces fit together. So we're like, so was, were the Old Testament saints, were those people... Were they saved differently? Did they, did they do a sacrifice and then God saved them because they did a sacrifice? And then Jesus came and now Jesus saves people. But before that, other sacrifices saved people? No. No. Remember, God, God's eternal. God's plan is God's plan. And Jesus came into the world at the perfect time. 
really glad he came into the world before social media, to be honest with you. Like, really glad. I don't need to see Instagram posts of, you know, I don't need it. He came at the perfect time. But salvation is always by grace through faith. Old Testament, New Testament, always by grace through faith and always assured because Christ, remember if God decrees it, it happens. Always assured because this was always God's plan. And though chronologically it comes in a specific time and a specific way, God always saves by grace through faith and it is always because of the sacrifice of Jesus. This Jesus offered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God the people crucified. Which is, it's almost, it's, it's almost like a gotcha moment in the sense that he, he, Peter's even saying, you couldn't control his death. This was always the plan. It wasn't an unwilling crucifixion. It wasn't an unwilling death. It was totally willing and totally necessary for our salvation. Christ's death necessary. Now, Christ's resurrection, this is what Peter's going to say, it happened. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible, not possible for him to be held by it. We see Christ's resurrection, it was, he's going to say it was predicted. You should have seen it. Right? We're in the Gospel of John. If you're with us on Sundays, we're going to start chapter 7 next week. So we're in the Gospel of John. I'd love for you to join us next week if you are looking for a church home. And what you'll see often kind of salted throughout John is John saying these kind of editorial comments in the, in the body of the narrative where he'll say something like, and then when he rose, we figured it out. And then we understood it. But we didn't know that that's what it meant. For example, when he says, tear this temple down, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And everyone, disciples included, thought that he was crazy. What do you mean? You can't rebuild. This temple took forever. It took decades to build. Three days? Not going to happen. Don't matter how many corners you cut, you can't cut enough to rebuild it in three days. Everyone was confused. And then John goes, then we realized he was talking about his resurrection. After he rose. Which again, for you and for me, it gives a lot of comfort to realize that the disciples were still learning things even though they got to walk around with Jesus. So let's look at this. Verse 25 of Acts chapter 2. For David says, this is the, this is the, the king par excellence. This is the one who is the man after God's heart. And Peter uses a psalm, Psalm 16 here. But for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul. This is David. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life you will Make me full of gladness with your presence. That actually comes from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, a psalm of David. It's going to sound a little different because, because in, the, in Acts chapter 2, they're translating from Greek manuscripts. And in Psalm 16, they're translating from Hebrew manuscripts or using the manuscripts they have. So, but you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart was glad, and my soul, my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now Peter does some spirit-inspired interpretation here of Psalm 16. And it's great. He actually kind of, he zooms in a little bit on verse 10 of Psalm 16, which you will see in Acts 2.27. And he says this, starting in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. David's a dead man. So he looks at this and looks at what David said and goes, clearly, if you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption, that's Psalm 16, if you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption and David is corrupted, then David must not be speaking about David. David must be speaking about someone else. And so, again, spirit-inspired interpretation. Peter sees that and goes, guys, I got it. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not, he would, I keep saying he would not, he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He says the resurrection was predicted. It was predicted because David said something that David didn't do. But there was a promise made that there'd be a king on a throne. And so one of David's descendants must not see corruption. Must not just be the king. Again, that's what we know. That's why we wear the funeral suit. That's why as you get older... You have to have uncomfortable talks with your family about your final wishes. Do you have this taken care of? Do you have long-term care insurance? How do you want your funeral to look? What would this be? And how would we pay for this? Like, like seriously. So we, we just start thinking about that because we know, I mean, really from the point you're about 25 onward, things just start breaking in your body. They don't work the same. So you hurt. You're always ailed. And so Peter sees that, and he knows that, and he's in Jerusalem at that time, the place where David's buried, right? He's in Jerusalem, and he's like, he's buried over there. So it's not him. So it's not him. It must be Jesus. God raised him up. God raised him up. And of this, of that, we are all witnesses. He's speaking. I would not say of everybody there, because there's people there who had not been in Jerusalem to see Jesus' work. But he's speaking of those who were of the 120 who were there and received the Spirit at Pentecost. And he's saying, we, we've seen it. We believe in him. We saw him resurrected. The apostles, Jesus was showing up to them, like through locked doors, Freaking people out. He shows up later 
at a seaside cooking breakfast. And I always think about in that moment that the creator of the world saw fit and pleasing to his father to cook breakfast for his disciples who had abandoned him. If Jesus does nothing by mistake, then then even cooking fish for breakfast was God-ordained. And we just think about the small moments in life as just that, just whatever. But he cooks for the ones who rejected him. And he joyfully receives them back and restores them. So Peter, who's the one that's had the experience of rejecting, rejecting the Messiah, and the one who has had the, spirit, the experience of being restored by the Messiah, and the one who is there and has received the Spirit, he speaks with a level of personal awareness about what Jesus has done. He's had in the past 50-ish days the highest of highs, and the lowest of lows. And he stands before a crowd of onlookers confident that had Jesus not been raised, he couldn't say what he said. He would just be another person in the line of people who have died. Resurrection in and of itself is hard to believe Because it's not our experience. Pain, got that. Emotional pain, physical pain, life pain, droves. Suffering, got that. Hurt, people sinning against me and me sinning against them. Check, check, check. I could keep the list going. Life forevermore. A Messiah who rose who loves me and gave himself for me, much, much more difficult for me to see, for me to grasp, for me to know, for me to even embrace. It isn't something that I come by naturally. It isn't something that you come by naturally. And we'll celebrate baptisms after this, and we're, uh, as I said, we're doing uh, young in uh, Young in body and young at heart. That's my way to talk about people who are, yeah. So two youth, one just shows it and one acts like it. That's what we'll see. And it's interesting because many parents in this church, I love, I, I love their approach to faith and their kids. And a lot of the stories are like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, this is what I've heard forever. This is what I grew up hearing. This is what my parents always told me. And yeah, I believe it. Believe it as much as an 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old can comprehend. But I believe it. But honestly, it's astonishing. It is astonishing and incredibly hard. To believe. Because natural people aren't resurrection people. We're death people. We have more confidence in being hopeless than hopeful. Easier to be 
pessimistic than positive. We, that's what we know. That's what we see. We've been let down more than we have been encouraged. And so as life goes on, we just get more beaten down. That's what I shared at my grandmother's funeral. She actually sparked. My grandfather died, I think it was 13 years ago, Friday. It was easy to remember because he died on tax day, April 15th. The only two things that are promised in life are death and taxes, and Grandpa helped me to remember that. I was convinced, after being married 65 years, that my grandmother would die within weeks, die of a broken heart. 65 years. That's a long time to be married. For that to be all you know. To attach your life to another person for that long, and then for that person to be gone? I was, I was confident, with all the seminary student confidence that I could muster, that we're going to do grandma, uh, Grandpa's funeral sometime in May, his memorial, and then probably in the fall, we'll get together and do Grandma's. And it was interesting to me, because... I say it this way, I said it at her service like this, she got better with age. That the woman that she was in 2009, even the woman that I remembered early as a child, was not the woman that I remembered at 99 or 98. Was not the woman that I sat with in Valentine's Day of 2020 before the world ended and heard stories about her life and my mom, who had died a few years earlier, and, and how she's been and what she's gone through and what she sees. And even the woman I saw in 2020 was more tender, was more loving, was more gracious than the woman I knew in 1995. Why? I really do. She gave more attention to the Lord in her widowed years. And I watched the Lord transform her. Some years ago, she was even baptized. She'd been baptized as a, uh, as a child, and she no longer felt that a child with an inability to make that kind of volitional call was, didn't, want to, didn't want that to be her baptism. So she was baptized. Now, at that age, you pour. You don't dunk. So poured over in her 90s. Why? Because the Lord writes different stories and he operates in different ways. It was so strong, and I shared before, that there was a man uh, who was a family friend, who, maybe he was family, I don't know, and you start to meet everybody, like, are you a family friend or are you family? I don't know. But he said, the, the woman you spoke about is not the woman that I remember. Something must have happened. I go, yeah, something did happen. The Lord doesn't finish when you retire. And he doesn't finish when you're 70 or 80 or 90 or 95 or 96 or 99. He finishes when he finishes. And resurrection, resurrection is the truth that provides for us the way to be better with age rather than soured. Because every day lived is another day closer. 
It's not just another day to exist. Resurrection is the path through which every day has significance. And every pain has his yeah, but. And how is this all comprehended? That's why we're in Acts chapter 2. Because we have Christ's death necessary, Christ's spirit, or Christ's resurrection predicted, and Christ's spirit poured out. That's what we see in Acts 2, 33 through 35. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That was the speaking of the early disciples and everybody going, how come I can understand them? These people are not my people. I don't understand why they can speak in this language and in this way. I'm hearing them speak of the great things of God and Peter's helping them understand why that is. The Spirit came And this is why it's Jesus and not just David. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord. Which is a common argument. Like, how, how did David say Lord and my Lord? It's not David. David's not being given this statement, this promise. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David didn't say that about David. Peter's already in this theme that these things are being spoken about the promised one to come. And so even what the crowds are seeing and hearing, that was something that was poured out by God so that people could understand, could comprehend. So we today, Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's why though our outer selves waste away, our inner selves are renewed day by day because the Spirit of God doesn't age along with our bodies. Poured out for us to live for God, to know God, to be empowered by God to do what he has before us, even on a Tuesday afternoon when we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing. We have the Spirit of Christ to give us all that we need, even in that moment. Very easy for us to think about how we get into tough moments. Spirit, you better do something because I can't do it myself. And then we kind of step back and go, I got all the other times. But just like Christians are resurrection people, we are spirit-dependent people. We have no other way of living that is of merit, that's worth it. If we try to live in our own power, our own strength, our own will, our own ways, it doesn't get us anywhere. So for a moment, I'm going I'm to cite one of my old favorite seminary professors. I know the book of James, Jesus' half-brother says, don't have favorites. It's not church favorites, it's just, it's, he was just a really good teacher. Stanley Toussaint, I've shared about him before, uh, in part because if you ever watch a video of him, his voice, you could just listen to him speak all day. It's just great to listen to. And so he writes about this, uh, verses 25 through 35. He says, these verses indicate four proofs 
of the Lord's resurrection and ascension. Number one, the prophecy of Psalm 16, 8 through 11, and the presence of David's tomb. Number two, the witnesses of the resurrection. We are all witnesses. That's Acts 2, 32. Number three, the supernatural events of Pentecost. What you are seeing is because the Lord ascended and then sent his spirit. Number four, the ascension of David's greater son. Psalm 110 and what we just saw in verses 34 and 35. This is why I will say with confidence and a certain level of comfort that if you're here, I'm glad you're here. But this isn't pageantry. This isn't something that you do simply because you had nothing better to do on a Sunday. Well, I need a shot of good teaching. I need to hear something inspiring. I need something helpful. This isn't why we do it. We do it because it happened. And because it happened, it either all matters or it doesn't matter at all. I think for a long time, a long time, we might still even be in it. We, we live as if sort of mattering is good enough. I've probably been there. You've probably been there. Well, I have nowhere better to be or nothing else to do, and so I might as well just go be around some nice people and a little bit of morality. That might be the thing that I need. But honestly, even the Apostle Paul, who came to faith after killing Christians because he thought they were crazy, even he says, if it didn't happen, Jesus wasn't raised, why are we here? Why are we here? Every time we gather, and it can be gathering here, it can be gathering in a community group, it can be gathering with other brothers and sisters where you're just talking about life and what's going on and sharing your heart and sharing the word. Every time we gather, we are declaring something. We're not just going through motions. We are declaring something happened in history that changed the world. Christ rose. And, and you might be going, well, I just have a hard time believing that with the same level of passion or intensity. I do too. It's easier to say it in front of people when they've got a captive audience. I don't, always, I don't always have that same level of intensity. But God doesn't save us by the intensity of our faith. He doesn't look at us and go, you really believe real hard right now, so I'm in. Whereas you believe very little right now, so you're out. He doesn't do that with us. The one who has faith is the one who has faith. It's granted by God. And of course, do we want to grow in it? Do we want to, do we want to step out in faith? Do we want to walk by faith day by day, moment by moment, month by month, year by year, decade by decade? Should the Lord give us those? Absolutely. But that isn't to say that every day we have the same zeal or every day we have the same intensity or every day we even have the same hope. Because we are more acquainted 
with pain and suffering and loss and death and hurt. But that's why the prophecy from Isaiah helps us out so much. For he was a man of sorrows. And he was acquainted with our grief. Jesus knows us. And sometimes even gathering with other believers on this day or any Sunday or any Tuesday night or any time, you go, Lord, this is real. Even showing up is or should be an act of faith. I show up because Jesus rose. I gather with other believers because I need other people to help me in that. I need to hear their voices. I need to see their hands raised. I need to remember that God is moving. Even if I feel as if he is absent. That's probably how the disciples felt on what we call Holy Saturday. Which would have been remembered in some traditions yesterday. Where you just go, where's God? Where's God? But as some say, and I was even reading recently, silence of God is not absence of God. He's present, He cares, and He rose. So we said we would speak of Christ's death being necessary, Christ's resurrection being predicted, Christ's spirit being poured out so we could be in that right relationship. But this is great because that final part is that Christ's salvation is available. Because all of these pieces happen, Christ's salvation is available. It is available for all who believe Every nation, any person, any age, all who believe can receive Christ's salvation. In fact, Acts chapter 2 begins with this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. This is before the Spirit is coming and they're getting confused. This is the crowd Peter is speaking to. He's speaking to an assembly of nations. All who believe. And there are times, you might even have been one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people now, where you go, "It it just seems like Jesus is for other people and not for me. If that's how you feel, I have good news. Jesus is for you more than you even realize. He came for outsiders and outcasts. He came for people who didn't belong. He came for people who don't feel as if they have a home, who don't know what's going on, who feel so trapped in their sin and trapped in their hard-heartedness and trapped in their frustrations that they don't have a solution. He came for those people. He came for us. He gives life to all who believe. When the crowds hear all of this, We read in verse 37, now when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What do we do? Peter gave an answer in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn to the Lord. Identify with him. That's baptism's identification. You're forgiven. You receive the Spirit. There wasn't a feel more intensely bad. If you could feel more intensely bad, then we'd really know. For all who believe, sins are forgiven. That again is too good to be true. Too good to be true that my sins can be forgiven? Totally, truly forgiven? I still feel bad at times about things I did 30 years ago. That's forgiven? Even if I don't feel like it's forgiven, right? Because, because very often how we feel doesn't line up with what is true, does it? Even if I don't feel forgiven, even if I'm still bothered that I did it, even if I'm still uncomfortable by it, yeah. Yeah. You still are fully and freely forgiven in Christ I'm not talking about earthly consequences. I'm not talking about bridges burned, relationships, anything like that that might be made awkward because of our sins towards one another. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about our right relationship with a holy God is made right through Jesus. We are fully forgiven through faith in him. The rest of our lives are spent understanding what in the world happened. And the great thing is, really, after our resurrection, which is just as sure as Christ for all who believe, after our resurrection, we get to spend the rest of eternity realizing what it meant. I mean, imagine this for a second. Wouldn't it be, I'm going to use the word boring. Go with me here. Wouldn't it be boring if at your resurrection, you were given all knowledge and you had it all figured out, and just for the rest of eternity, you had to walk around knowing it all. Like, that, 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 that doesn't seem, that, that doesn't fit. Why? We have an eternal God who at his hands are pleasures forevermore. We get the rest of eternity to worship and to know and to follow and to continue to comprehend because he will always be bigger and greater and more glorious than we could comprehend. Always. Sins forgiven, right relationship, resurrection for us assured, eternal life. The Gospel of John which we are in, speaks about eternal life a lot. A lot. Eternal life, life from above, this life that God gives. 
And as John, the Apostle John, in his prologue is speaking about Jesus and his incarnation, the Word, the eternal Word, he says, and you see even hints of it in how Peter speaks in Acts chapter 2 after it's all happened. He says, he came to his people, but his own people didn't receive him. Didn't receive him. This Jesus offered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified at the hands of lawless men. People did not receive him. But then we read this promise in John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All assured for us because Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, the Spirit was sent, we have life. Every piece necessary, nothing wasted. And we gather in 2022. When this, I mean, I, this, this moment... Foreseen by God, and yet all over the world, there are people gathering to remember this Jesus, this Jesus. And there are still so many who do not know this Jesus. But maybe they know you. And the hope you have in the resurrection can be shared. And by God's grace and his spirit moving, the hope you have becomes the hope they have. It is offered for all. It is there for all. I, in whatever way, I exhort, encourage, ask, beg, long for everyone in this room To say, I believe. And deal with whatever comes after that in whatever ways God leads. But I believe this. Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose. We are His.